0: You know what's a, a really great feeling? You know what's a great feeling? The realization that something is not your responsibility. You know what I mean? <laughs> For example, when I was flying back home several weeks ago, shortly after takeoff, a child began to cry on the airplane. And immediately, my father instincts kicked in. Then I remembered, I'm flying alone. And he, and he, and this is true story. You know what my next thought was? True story. My next thought was, not my monkey, not my circus, right? <laughs> uh, now, did, did I have compassion for that mom and dad and their screaming infant? Yes. In fact, I even thought about how I might be able to help. But at the end of the day, that child was not my responsibility and it felt great (laughs) you know one of the great kindnesses of God is that in scripture he clearly lets us know what is and what is not our responsibility did you know this And this is actually really good news. You know why? Because most often we tend to focus on things that are not our responsibility and neglect the things God has clearly called us to be responsible for, especially in the midst of suffering. And I bring this to your attention because in Hebrews chapter 3, the passage we're going to look at this morning, we learn that there is something God calls all Christians to be responsible for whenever they are experiencing a hardship. You know what that is, that God calls all Christians to be responsible for in the midst of a hardship? God calls you to be responsible, please hear me, for your heart. In your hardship, you are responsible to take care of your heart. Specifically, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, teaches this truth, and that is, do not harden your heart in the day of trouble. This is the main point of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. And we know this is the case because the author states his thesis twice in these 12 verses. He states it in verse 8 and in verse 15. Do not harden your heart, faith, community, church, in the day of trouble. When affliction comes upon you, when hardship beats against you, when difficult people fill your day, when bad news comes across your desk, more than finding relief from your trouble, the Bible teaches that you Christian, you who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you must Tend to your heart. That is, you must take responsibility for it. And as many of you know, in the Bible, the heart, when Scripture uses the word heart, it's not just referring to the seat of the emotions. No, in the Bible, the heart refers to the mind, will, and emotions. The, The heart, it's your directional system. It's your steering wheel. Right it's the it's the operating system that runs the apps of your life and when trouble comes upon you and we all have trouble in relationships at work in marriages in family with our health with our and when trouble comes upon you you have the responsibility to make sure that your heart is not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin so that you fall away from God. So how can you do this? How can you keep your heart from being hardened amidst your trial? Well, this is the question that I want us to consider this morning. So if you haven't already, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. That's page one thousand and two in that paperback Bible. And as you're turning there, let me give you the context in the previous chapter after uh, the author of Hebrews exhorted us to consider why Jesus is worthy of more glory, more glory than Moses, the goat of the Old Testament more worthy of glory than than anything else this life has to offer. He he wants us to consider Jesus, to consider why Jesus is worthy of more glory. And on the heels of of him pointing us to Jesus to see why he is worthy to live for more than anything else, the author now, in this section of chapter 3, he directs us to five actions we must take to keep our hearts soft, and receptive to God. And last week, you'll recall, we looked at the first two. Do you remember what they were? First, we must expect wilderness testing. And this is made clear in verses 7 through 9. As we noted last week, in this passage, the author brilliantly takes an experience from Israel's past, and he applies it to the New Testament believer today. Like Israel, every person who has come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has been delivered by God from bondage. However, in our case, our bondage was not Pharaoh. No, our bondage was slavery to sin. Furthermore, like Israel, we too were heading towards the promised land, the land of promise. But tell me, are we there yet? No this is critically important for you and I to see if you're not going to have your heart hardened towards God. Christian, we're not in the promised land. Where are we? We're in the wilderness making our way towards the celestial city. And I believe the author, by citing this, this passage and drawing upon this experience, he's wanting to give us biblical categories to interpret life. And one of the categories we must embrace is that as sojourners, as elect exiles, as Peter would say, we should expect wilderness testing. However, I think for many Christians, they expect their life to be filled with promised land comforts rather than wilderness testing. And I invite you to, I invite you, is that true of you? Biblically, we need to remember that we're in the wilderness. This earth in its current condition is not our home. It is not our place of rest. But then second, we learned last week that you must eradicate complaining. In Hebrews 3, the author quotes at length a psalm. And does anybody remember what psalm he is quoting? Who wants to take a guess? Remember? Psalm 95. Very good. Psalm 95. And as several commentators have correctly pointed out, Psalm 95 draws together two incidents from Israel's post-Red Sea travels in the wilderness. One is Exodus 16, the other is is Numbers 14. And in the Exodus account, once Israel entered the wilderness, what did they begin to do immediately? Tell me. Complain and grumble. Their response to the hardships in the wilderness was to grumble. Grumble was to complain, was to vent, was to get angry, was to want to go back to Egypt. And you know what that revealed, their grumbling and complaining? It revealed that they really did not know God. Because this is precisely the Lord's diagnosis of Israel, was it not? As the author of Hebrews states in verse 10, he says, Quoting from the psalm, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So so faith, please hear me. A person might say they have a great relationship with the Lord. They might say they know God intimately and they know Him very well. But if they frequently grumble and complain about anything, then they don't really know God. They are ignorant of His ways. And you know why? Because tell me, who is the one who stands above it all? Who is the one who is ordering and directing all affairs for His glory and our good? Tell me. God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's who. And here's what I want you to see, faith. And I say this with great conviction and passion and I plead with you. If you you want to do this and not harden your heart, then you must eradicate grumbling from your life. If you are prone to giving away to complaining, your heart is in danger. Do not treat this sin flippantly. Do not discuss it, dismiss it as benign. Do not think, oh, that's just for that person, not me. I'm free to grumble and complain about what I want to grumble and complain about with my friend group. If we take the Bible seriously, and I hope you do, if you allow grumbling and complaining to flourish, it will harden your heart. Learn from Israel's mistakes. But now I invite you to look with me actually at the text. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 once more. What I want us to do is consider three additional actions we must take if we're to prevent our hearts from being hardened in the day of trouble, right? So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. The author writes this. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray. Where? In their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end as it is said today if you hear his voice Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. So do you see? He keeps hammering. Here's his main point. Do not harden your hearts. Then, verse 16. For who were those who were heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Amen. This is God's good, poignant, and weighty word. Who can tell me? And, and the answer is not Jesus. I'll tell you that one. But who can tell me, what's this Tuesday? Halloween. 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 It's the following week. The election's the following week. Yes. <laughs> vote early. Vote often. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Next to this upcoming Tuesday, is Halloween. Do you know that consumers are on track to spend 12 billion dollars on Halloween? billion. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but front yards are filled with ghosts, graveyards, and many, 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 many skeletons. Have you seen this? Yes? You you know why skeletons and graveyards are the most popular Halloween decorations? It's because... Nothing is more frightening than death. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think we fear death so much? Why when we think about I'm going to spend money on a decoration that's frightening. Why do we go to the things associated with death? Skeletons, graveyard. Why do you think we fear death so much? I would suggest it's because we love ourselves so much. I'd invite you to consider that is that what is underneath all our self-preserving fears? Is a deep love for ourselves. I mean, I've mentioned this before. For example, why are you so critical of your spouse's driving, especially when he is not slowing down as quickly as you would like him to? And this thing from what? Why are you so self-protective? Is it not because you love yourself? and you don't want to experience any harm, especially death? Well, guess what? You're not alone. In verse 17 of chapter 3, the author of Hebrews references an account in Israel's history. You can read about it in Numbers 14. Do you remember what happened in that passage? In that passage, the 12 spies return from their 40-day mission to scope out the promised land, the very land God had promised to give them. Yet when the spies returned, they had conflicting recommendations. The only thing that they could agree upon was that the land was rich in grapes and fruits and pomegranates, that it was indeed flowing with milk and honey. However, the majority of the spies, 10 out of the 12, said the land Untakeable. They reported that the inhabitants of the land were of great height; they were giants. Indeed, compared to the inhabitants, the spy said, "We we seem just like like small grasshoppers." And do you remember how Israel responded to this report? Remember that all Israel wept. Indeed, speaker after speaker called for deposing their leaders. And returning to Egypt. Now, think about that. They wanted to return to Egypt, to the land of slavery. Furthermore, the Israelites wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb, the two guys who dared to believe that God would give them the land he promised. Indeed, read it yourself. You know what Numbers chapter 14, verse 9 reveals? that text reveals that the reason why, please hear me, the reason why Israel didn't obey God and take the land was because they feared death. That is, they esteemed their well-being more than God and His commands. They, They couldn't trust God because they valued themselves supremely. As verse 17 of Hebrews 3 states, this provoked God. And commenting on verse 17, New Testament scholar Tom Schreider makes this helpful insight. He writes this He says, Israel was called to enter the land and refused to do so since they feared death if they submitted to God's command. The consequences were disastrous. They sinned against God because they feared death and they experienced death because they didn't do what he mandated. They they were fearful for their own well-being. This is why they did not trust God and take the promised land. They esteemed themselves more than God. And I would just like to suggest that perhaps... Do we not often do the same, especially in our moments of trouble? I'll confess that I do. Do do we not often ascribe the greatest value and worth to ourselves? Yet, Christian, if we're going to keep our hearts from being hardened, then we must learn from Israel's mistake. And what must we learn? I, must, I would suggest we must not esteem ourselves more than God. Rather, we must esteem God. And here, I believe, is the third action we are called to make. Indeed, I, I want you just to consider, consider again what we learned in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Have your eyes fall there once more. That verse is not there by accident. And the more I study this passage, the more I see the brilliance of how the Holy Spirit put this chapter together. Because what does that text declare? Verse 15, you know what it declares? It states that Jesus died to deliver you from the fear of what? Death. The very type of fear that kept Israel from trusting God and taking the promised land. Faith, if you want to keep your heart from being hardened amidst suffering, then resolve today to esteem and value God more than yourself. See yourself for who you truly are. From dust I came, and dust I will return. Faith, God has given us something far greater than ourselves to live for, and that's Him. Oh, that we would be delivered from thinking too highly of ourselves. God's word calls us to eradicate self-protection and the love of self as the reason for why we do what we do and instead replace it with the desire to live for Jesus and honor him, the one who died to deliver me from the fear of death. Make the connection in your Bible Verse 17 of chapter 3 and chapter 2, verse 15. Jesus died to deliver you from the very fear that prevented Israel from obeying God and going into the promised land. And I would suggest to esteem God is to do what Joshua and Caleb did in Numbers 14. And you know what they did? They did this. Instead of focusing on the giants, they focused on the Lord of the giants. Instead of being concerned about their well-being, they were more concerned about obeying God and honoring Him. I love what John Newton has written. Speaking of this matter of thinking too highly of ourselves, he writes this. This Day of trouble. Day of trouble stuff. He says, Messengers from Satan and thorns in the flesh are gifts and mercies, yet they preserve us from being exalted above measure. Oh God, make that true of me. God, keep me from exalting me. Keep us as a church from exalting us. And in our day of trouble, God, help us to esteem you and to know that you are worthy to live for in this hard moment. That in your presence there's pleasures evermore. Which leads to the fourth thing that we must take if we're going to keep our hearts from being hardened, and that is examine your heart. Now look at what he says there in verse 12. He says, uh, actually verse 10 and 12. Verse 10. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So how do we keep our hearts from being hardened? Expect wilderness testing, eradicate complaining, esteem God, make much of him more than yourself, and then examine your heart. Since January of this year, our refrigerator has been making a consistent, troubling sound. Uh, and it was non-stop. I mean, just every several seconds, this consistent troubling sound. So, so we did a little troubleshooting, did a little Googling. Uh, however, none of those solutions worked. And after doing a little bit more digging, it became very clear that our 18-year-old refrigerator was dying, and the cost to fix it was almost the same as to replace it with a new one. So you know what we did? We purposefully ignored the sounds. (laughs) We neglected it. And, in the meantime, we also prayed that that refrigerator would give us just a little bit more time to save up to buy a new one. Last month, our refrigerator went to the big appliance showroom in the sky. (laughs) May it rest in peace. Uh, Listen to me, okay? For months... What are we, in October? For nine months, our refrigerator was giving off warning signs that it was in trouble. Yet we simply chose to ignore it. Faith, it's one thing to do that with an appliance. Yet we ought not do that with our hearts. The author of Hebrews could not be more clear if you're going to keep your heart from being hardened, and, and don't want to be kept in obvious here, but then you must tend to it. Unlike us in our refrigerator, we must examine our hearts and give efforts to fix any problems. Why? Because as verse 10 states, we always go astray first in our hearts. The our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors of rebellion start here. And let me just ask you, Christian, like our refrigerator, is your heart giving off warning signs that it's in trouble? Is, it, is your heart showing signs that it's needing fixing? Here's some questions I invite you to Consider. what are you running to for comfort in the midst of your hardship? If you want to tend your heart, ask yourself this. In this hardship, what am I wanting most? When experiencing a difficult situation, is God in your thoughts? Are you bitter or angry either at God or someone else? What are you believing about God? Better stated, do you believe God when He states that He has a purpose for your suffering? He has a purpose for your trouble, whether that trouble might be in the form of a relationship, whether that trouble might be in the form of a physical concern, whether that might be a financial difficulty. Do you believe God, when He says He has a purpose for you, a good purpose for you in the midst of this trouble? And then I I would just ask, you: what am I treasuring? What, what What am I esteeming? Faith, don't be like us in our refrigerator. (laughs) Do not neglect examining your heart. And if you find unbelief in sin, confess it to our God, who is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And believe by faith that you're forgiven. And I, and I cannot stress enough how important this is, for notice the warning there at the, at the end of verse 12. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk about the warning passages a bit more in the weeks to come, the warning passages we see throughout the book of Hebrews. But for now, what I want you to see is how th- these warning passages, they're intended to keep the Christian from falling away. It, The entirety of scripture and also the book of Hebrews teaches that God's elect will always persevere to the end. Friend, if you've been saved by God, you cannot lose your salvation. Amen? Amen. And one of the means that God has ordained to have his own persevere to the end are the warning passages in scripture. Right as Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice and they obey. They they hear their shepherd say, "Don't do this," and the sheep are like, "Yes, yes, Mister, I'm gonna," and they stay away. This is what we have here in verses twelve and fourteen. So, Christian, listen and respond accordingly then finally and perhaps most importantly the way that we prevent our hearts from being hard in the day of trouble is we need to encourage one another look again at verse 13 but exhort one another every day every day as long as it is called today That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In in John Bunyan's masterpiece, *The Pilgrim's Progress*, Christian meets uh, several companions on his way to the celestial city. First, he he meets Faithful, and then then he meets and has another person join him. And who's that? You remember his name is? Who's the second companion? Faithful and hopeful. Hopeful. And upon meeting each other, Bunyan writes, quote, they entered a brotherly covenant and agreed to be companions. And as the rest of the book unfolds, it becomes very apparent just how much hopeful and Christian need each other. Because within a very short time, hopeful and Christian come across another traveler by the name of By-Ends. If you remember this. As his name indicates, Bayans is conceited and seeks his own advancement. And Christian and hopeful quickly discern that this is a guy to avoid. They also encounter a, a group led by Mr. Hold the World who tries to tempt them in seeking dishonest gain. And if that weren't enough, they then meet Demas at the silver mines who calls them to depart from the straight and narrow way. And you remember what happened then? Hopeful actually wanted to go and look at the minds. Yet Christian warned him, he said, no, no, don't leave the straight and narrow, don't go to that place. He exhorted Hopeful, don't take another step towards Demas. And Hopeful heeded his friend's counsel and they both continued on their way to the celestial city, yet now without experiencing another struggle, another temptation, they soon come upon Doubting Castle, where they are both thrown into a terrible dungeon by giant who? Do you remember? Giant despair. And when everything looks desperate, and, and Christian is about to take his own life, to commit suicide, hopeful speaks up. And with Hopeful's help, Christian remembers that he possesses the key to open the dungeon door of Doubting Castle. Remember this? And you remember what it was? He said he had it all along. It was the key of what? Promise. God's promises were the key to unlock the door and to leave Doubting Castle and his dungeon. So they escape and they continue their way to the celestial city together and faith I want to suggest that the relationship between Christian and hopeful masterfully illustrates the command given here in verse 13. Faith, please hear me. Perseverance is a community endeavor. If you and I are going to keep our hearts from being hardened in the day of trouble, then we must invite other Christians to speak truth into our lives. We need each other. We need to have faithful companions like hopeful to encourage and admonish us. You know why? Because look at what verse 13 says. Sin is deceitful. It seeks to trick us and its main goal is to draw us away from the living God. So by way of application, can I ask? Christian, do you let people speak into your life? Do you seek out faithful companions to point you to Christ? In light of this command, you know what would be a great action for you to take? By way of application... I would encourage all of you to ask the people in your community group if they see any hardness of heart in you. Ask them if they observe if you've been deceived by sin. And in humility, Christian, receive their answer. And and don't just have this be a one-time thing work this into the fabric of your small groups say hey i i do not want to have a hardened heart do you see that in me i mean imagine if we did this in our community groups imagine if we took this command seriously enough to not only invite others to speak into our lives but also have the courage to lovingly warn our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are being deceived by sin. Because consider what we learned there in verses 16 through 18. You know what all those questions are getting at, those rapid-fire questions? It's getting at this truth, and that is, a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. These were people who were led by Moses out of Egypt. And look what happened. So you started out on fire for the Lord. That's great, but don't stop. Keep running. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Christian, trouble can come to us in a variety of ways. Be it physical, financial, or relational Yet, whatever hardship comes from the pruning hand of God, let us tend to our hearts. And let's be a community of believers who encourage one another to turn from sin and delight in Christ. Amen? Let's pray.